Thank you for tuning in to the Star Center podcast entitled Pediatric Care, Childhood, Adversity, and Resiliency Education. We bring together a community of pediatric providers working to address social determinants of health in their practices. We will share tested strategies, success stories, ideas on where to find community resources, and discuss clinical tools that are educational and practical to benefit your practice and families. Hello, and thank you for tuning into our podcast. During this episode, we will be talking about family-centered counseling techniques with expert Dr. Sarah Del Campo de Gonzalez, who is a pediatrician and the medical director at the Young Children's Health Center, a community-based clinic of the University of New Mexico. Her special interests include trauma-informed care, excessive childhood stress activation, resilience and protective factors, early childhood development, and immigration. Hello, I'm Dr. Nerissa Bauer. I'm a behavioral pediatrician and blogger of Let's Talk Kids Health. I'm based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm really excited about today's episode because we have Dr. Sarah Del Campo de Gonzalez here today, and I'm going to have her introduce herself before we get going. Hi, I'm Dr. Sara Alcampo de Gonzalez, or I go by Dr. Sarah. Um, I am a pediatrician in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the University of New Mexico. Our little clinic is called the Young Children's Health Center, and we're in the International District of Albuquerque. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Well, without further ado, you know, we're going to be talking about family-centered counseling techniques. So I'm really interested in talking about this. How did you become interested in screening for social needs and counseling children and families specifically on this topic? You know, our clinic actually was founded on this philosophy um, 39 years ago. Uh, The part-time pediatrician who founded the clinic hired a social worker first um, and a front office staff member, um, just kind of recognizing the importance of social issues that may impact and their health um, and having that same kind of priority given to um, the family's well-being uh, from a social and emotional standpoint um, as we do give, um, you know, importance to medical health. And so I became interested in that same philosophy during medical school, um, working in Albuquerque um, and getting to know really strong families from the international district where this clinic is, um, finding out that a lot of the things that would have predicted um, poor outcomes in in kids' health, um, there's something there that is giving families some really strong kind of resilience and protective um, type factors. And I wanted to learn more. So we started screening in the clinic uh, more systematically in recent years, um, but it's something that has been going on at some level for years before me. (laughs) Well, so I'm really interested to hear you talk about the New Mexico Three, um, and that's really something that you alluded to about how you started to systematically screen patients for these things. Are you able to tell our listeners a little bit about these questions? Like, what are the questions that you ask? How were they developed? Do you ask them at every visit or at just 12 visits? Um, And then how do you do that? Like, do you ask the parent? Do you ask the child? Do you ask both? Do you mind letting us know? 
Sure. So these questions, um, the reason they 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 came to be um, with a name, the New Mexico Three, is we were involved in a collaborative with Johns Hopkins University, and uh, the Department of Psychiatry at our university uh, was awarded a grant um, to start a program. Um, called Addressing Childhood Trauma Through Intervention, Outreach, and Networking, the Action Clinic. So they brought us on board to see if we had any kind of innovative practice we wanted to look at. And we said, you know, we're, we really need to get um, systematic in our screening. We're, we're doing everything um, kind of as, as need arises um, with families. And um, so we started systematically screening about 2014. Um, during that process of deciding how to screen, um, we did have a screening tool. We used the, the SEEK questionnaire, um, but we also wanted to hear from families to ask them, how do you want to discuss this with your providers and what are you comfortable with and how do you want to be asked these questions? Um, and, and, you know, for some families, these questions can feel very invasive um, or personal. Uh, so having focus groups with families and getting their input was instrumental. It was integrated into the, the process. Um, they helped us develop those three questions. Um, so the New Mexico Q3, um, one of them is, um, you know, just in our own way, each provider asks, did your family or your child experience any major stressful events, either since the last time we saw each other or, you know, in, in their life so far in their childhood? And number two, how much is that still bothering them or how much do you think that might have had an impact on them or your family? Um, the third question was very important to the families we developed this with, and that was, um, despite these concerns, uh, what are some good things that happened with you and your child? And what are some things you're proud of? Kind of getting at the strengths uh, of the family uh, or of the child. And those three questions are asked in the context of kind of giving them a little framework of, look, we know that, um, you know, where a child goes to school and plays and where you guys work and live has a lot to do with how your family is doing. Um, and so we'd like to ask you a couple questions, you know, that are that that help us get to know you and get to know your child a little better. So that's how those three questions came to be. That's how we started to ask them. Um, we do ask them at every single well child check. Um, we do uh, tailor the way that we ask them based on the, the age of the child, right? So um, if it's an infant or a toddler and they're not going to answer the questions, of course, you know, we're, we're asking parents primarily and asking, you know, are there things that have impacted the child or their the family? Um, and then if they're school-aged kids, I really love to ask a question about strengths, especially geared towards, you know, what is your favorite thing about yourself? Um, what are you most proud of? Um, what's your favorite thing about your family? You know, you really get at um, some of the really powerful things that families and children uh, do to, to, to mitigate some of the impacts of, of trauma and adversity. I really, I really liked hearing the whole process, and even though it was jump started by a grant that allowed you to incorporate these focus groups, I love the idea inviting your population in to give you that input um, in designing these questions. You know, I was thinking about 
the last question. And I think too, that is such a wonderful question to add as well as to sort of lead into the rest of the encounter. Um, and that's so important, as you know, with relational health. Um, how do you then use these questions in conjunction with other screen validated screening tools? What types of tools are you using in your clinic? And then also documentation of these things. Mm -hmm. Right. So in terms of the process that families will go through, uh, you know, with with official screening tools and then and then, of course, our surveillance questions um, as they arrive to clinic, they are uh, given the seek questionnaire at every well child check. Um, and then they they complete that uh, while they're waiting for the provider to start the visit. Um, when they get to nurse triage, uh, the nurses have an additional set of questions that are just kind of a check-in. Um, uh, many of our nurses have grown up with these families, and some of the nurses are from the neighborhood and were our patients before they were hired. So this is the start of that relationship building uh, from the front staff to the to the nurses in triage. We'll ask. Where they'll ask, uh, you know, any any problems getting around town, any any difficulties with finding daycare, um, you know, any issues with obtaining food, just a couple of quick screening things, um, and then they'll do a warm handoff to the provider. And so we'll get a clinic log sheet that you know has a circle around it that says SW, let's say social work. Or, um, or, you know, our clinic log actually has the items on there so they can circle, you know, this family is, is having some housing insecurity, that kind of thing. And then immediately, if, if we're running behind or if it's an urgent issue or if there's any reason to bring social work or behavioral health in at that moment, um, we have a group chat, you know, through our secure messaging system where we bring them over. Just today, a few hours ago, um, I was uh, running late, and so my last patient needed to speak to a social worker about some housing issues that had two days. And so the social worker was able to meet with the family, kind of develop a game plan, and then perfect timing, I walk in and we finish our visit together. And so that's that's oftentimes how it goes. Um, otherwise, then I get the chart, I go in and I do my well child check. We, of course, start the conversation framing it about how the, the child's well-being and the family's well-being has to do with all these other things. And um, can we talk about those things? And, and families have such an open kind of, you know, over the years, they've developed a comfort um, with the environment that we've built there to talk about these things openly. And we review the SEEK questionnaire. Um, just sometimes I use it as a communication starter, like, oh, thank you for filling out this questionnaire. We asked you a million questions, and really this is just getting at getting to know you and your family a little better. Then that launches me into a discussion with them about their social issues and how are things going. Um, and so it at, from that point, um, if there are things identified at any level of that, at the front staff, um, at the, you know, in nurses triage, um, in our visit, all of those different things can generate what we call a consult request. That consult request has a little bit of information in it about what the situation is. And that gets forwarded over to our uh, family services team, um, which is comprised of social workers and counselors, home visitors, case managers. You know, it's a it's a big team of people that rally around the family to to help connect them to resources. 
That's wonderful. So the way that you're describing your clinic, are they also located in the same building? A lot of these folks too? Yes, absolutely. They're, they're located in the building and we're all, uh, we, we have little pods where people for the ease of working together and, and networking for, you know, let's say a given family, um, the social work team sit together, but they are down the hall or next door to us. Um, but yep, they are co-located and, you know, sometimes we'll even do co-managed visits. So on Monday afternoons, for example, um, I may walk in the room with the psychiatrist and together we do our visit um, so that we're kind of teaming up together to see what are the ways to best meet the, the child's behavioral health needs. Or I may enter with the social worker or the home visitor who works with the family. I can only imagine, you know, thinking about our listeners who are thinking, wow, this sounds amazing. How do I even get this started in my <laughs> clinic, especially if they don't have co-located resources like this? What would you, your advice be to someone who's listening to this, who, who understands the importance of doing what you're doing, assessing social needs, and really wanting to rally around the family, but not really knowing how to start? Like, how do you, how do you build the team around you? Yeah, there definitely are growing pains to getting to this. Um, what what we you know, we sometimes will say it's the Cadillac of you know integrated clinics because we really worked hard to build it to this level, um, but we're not going to get there unless we start with a lot of um, really difficult situations. So, you know, starting off with one social worker in in the middle of the international district meeting needs for all of these families was pretty challenging. And even leading into that grant um, where we started working on systematically screening at that time, we still did not have um, the robust social work, you know, and behavioral health team that we have now, but we started to collect data. And that was really where we just, we started with, look, we're going to have to make a case for university uh, helping us hire more staff to support mm -hmm. this work. Um, or we're going to need to start looking for creative solutions for funding these types of positions. And so we actually have funding through city contracts, through county contracts, through the state um, early childhood division department, uh, which used to be like our uh, children, youth and families or children's protective services department. Um, and we even have a state uh, appropriation in the budget for the clinic. And so just where could we pull in funding to support this kind of model that we really had a sense was the right path to go, but it started with a lot of discomfort. So. How are we going to ask all these questions of families and not have the team to refer them to? Mm -hmm. Let's start asking the questions. Let's start screening and seeing just how how much the um, need is. And then once we have all of that data, we can start applying for contracts. There was a period of time where we were triaging um, every referral that came in and we'd ask families, Okay, but wait, how motivated are you to work on this issue and how urgent is it to you? Um, because we have a big, you know, demand and no supply. Um, so we worked through that discomfort together. We had lots of training uh, together as providers and staff to kind of ease some of that um, and slowly built. And so right now we have eight medical providers and we have a team of 14 social workers, therapists, home visitors social work aids, all of that. 
Wow. That's amazing. And, you know, building it from the ground up, uh, it's really a marathon and not a sprint, mm -hmm. right? Um, and before we leave this topic, I, I, you mentioned the, that you were doing co-managed visits and you and the psychiatrist or you and the social worker could walk in together. Um, what sort of scheduling does that take to be able to do that? So the co-managed visits with the other provider, with the psychiatrist, do take a little bit more scheduling. So when that referral comes through, example, I have a patient that um, we wanted to talk about a couple of medication, uh, you know, uh, failures or, you know, meds that weren't a good fit for, for this little boy. And I was having trouble kind of getting at the next step, um, but thought there might be some other, um, you know, it would be great to have psychiatrist in the visit with me. So I sent a referral just the way all of the referrals go, you know, very kind of standardized, send the referral over to the family support team and said, I wanted to see uh, what her availability would be to do a co-managed visit. Um, you know, the alternate would be, I can consult her, you know, text her, email her, that kind of thing. But I kind of wanted her to be present with me to talk to the family. And then they got back to me um, to say, you know, this is her schedule. When can you, you know, what do you have available? And they worked with the schedulers to just block out both of our schedules at that time. And so mm -hmm. kind of standardized, you know, somebody is going to do the legwork or help me with the legwork um, is so helpful for coordinating this care. Um, when I take in a case manager or a therapist with me or a home visitor, um, oftentimes they already know that their patient is going to be scheduled to see me because they work with them so closely and they said, I want you to see Dr. Sarah about this sleep issue you're having or about this anxiety issue. Um, and then, and then they're contacting me to say, um, you know, they're coming in to see you at two. Is it okay if I pop in and say hello? And then, you know, it's like, of course. Um, so we'll go in that way together. Um, but it, it happens both ways. I'll see somebody that I know the home visitor works with, and then I'll call them up and say, you know, I'm going to see your baby at two o'clock today. Do you want to come say hi to mom? And then they're like, yes, I need to take him a pack and play and, a, you know, <laughs> whatever else. So it works out. It, that's such a welcoming environment. And um, getting back to a word you used, um, you know, you, you you built this from the ground up and created this climate of acceptance and really building a team that understands that we're here for the families that we serve. And I love the fact that informally, just because you're co-located, you can sort of do these things uh, and work together um, and remember like, oh yeah, they're in home visiting. I should, you know, let them know that they're coming in today. I mean, that way, that's really a beautiful thing when it works so well. Um, Thank you. Can you, you know, I'm thinking about our listeners. And again, I love the fact that you mentioned that you use the SEEK, you use these surveillance questions, and you use it as a starting off point to have those conversations. For the listeners who are trainees or not in the medical home, but work with the medical home, um, and they might come across a worrisome result, can you give an example of how to start that conversation? Because I think for us, it's easier to say, oh, look, these are all the things that you're doing well. I mean, granted, we might not always remember in the context of a very busy visit. So this is a great reminder. But like, what if there's a, a, a worrisome result? Like, how do you how do you overcome your own discomfort to bring that up to a family? 
Yeah, definitely there there is a great discomfort, especially if you are not surrounded by a network of people that are going to, number one, help swoop in and kind of help um, parse out some of the needs that the family has and everyone is going to take on their part and the social workers working on this and the home visitors on that. And so the provider, you know, kind of knows that they have the support that that's one thing that helps decrease the discomfort the other piece of it is there's definitely secondary trauma right from hearing about families that are going through significant adversity um, and as a provider you take a lot of that or you can there's a risk of taking a lot of that on and home with you and so having a support network around you helps to kind of um, disseminate that the burden of that emotional stress or the the secondary stress uh, and so when you're on your own or or you are a, a learner, um, medical student or a resident, the first thing we teach them is just to have that interest in connecting with families at that level and kind of, you know, there's so much research and so much to be establishing a, a connection and listening and just, you know, kind of being someone who's going to care about the things that matter to families. So first off, you know, ask the questions, listen you know, offer offer just some affirmation or some validation of their experience. Uh, sometimes there are things that we can do right there in the moment um, with a family that's experiencing significant stress. Um, and so in some of the trainings that um, we do or that we send our providers to to do, uh, they just do some very brief intervention. Like let's let's talk through how we breathe together. You know, let's let's play some little box box breathing exercises together. Or, you know, I love to I love to tell kids and we'll demonstrate it in the room how we're going to breathe and inhale while we trace our pinky and then come back down the other side of the pinky as we exhale and then come up the other finger on our inhale. And we can do this under the desk at school when we're scared or when we're feeling anxious. Um, so I have about five, you know, strategies um, that we can kind of choose from a toolbox of things that providers learn to um, address right in that moment. When you don't have a referral network, you know, jump out and, and, and bring somebody in from the hallway. Um, that really helps. Um, also starting relationship with organizations in the community. So I may only know of one place that does one thing really, really well, but I know, you know, Jennifer works at the front desk there and she connects my families really well. And so if she doesn't have space for my child, my patient, you know, maybe she has a connection with one other community-based organization that does. Um, so you start to develop those relationships with agencies one by one if, if you're alone doing this work. Um, and that's really how you start developing those linkages. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like pounding the pavement, knowing who else is there in that community. And again, what I'm struck by as you're talking is the importance of that team-based approach. And as you build your team, knowing that you're not in this alone as the provider, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you uh, and you can't take on all these things alone, especially some of those social needs that are really sensitive, like housing, food insecurity, right. um, unemployment, immigration. I mean, all of those things, right, right. that, that um, we hear about in our day-to-day -day practice. So I'm going to have, I have two more quick questions. I know we're running short on time. One is, can you think about a success story to share <laughs> with our listeners right now to get them really excited and to really see the value of why this is important 
Um, what's, is there a story that you'd like to share? Sure. I mean, I think in general, we have a lot of families that come back and say, you know, um, we we have developed great relationships with you guys and, and you've helped our family and, you know, kind of that general feedback. Um, but a couple of kids in particular come to mind and um, we have kids that are enrolled in home visitation programs and uh, during those home visits, they are learning attachment theory and relationship building and dyads and, you know, all of that. And they also are getting case management services, you know, to, to make sure that the home environment is everything that parents want to provide for their kids. I've had a mom come back and say, you know, Paula, my home visitor, taught me um, how to call the school for the older child. And um, I went over there and, and advocated for him to get tutoring. Um, and from there, she went on to work with the, the parent teacher organization. And from there, she went on to advocate. And so um, we have ex little examples like that all the time where, you know, whether it was because of a linkage to one of the resources that we had that just empowered them. They already have the strength and the skills and the capacity. They just needed to be heard and validated and given an avenue to express their voice. Um, that that has been really powerful and an awesome feedback. Um, and then, you know, just just hearing from families on a daily basis that, you know, the letter you wrote to reunite us with our family, um, with, whether it's an immigration issue or, you know, the letters, the letters we write to the landlords or some of those linkages. Those are all just little tidbits that keep us keep us going on this path, knowing that we this integrated model really feels like the right way to go for families. Yeah, I, I really love um, hearing about the success stories. I'm sure it just energizes you and the rest of your team right. to keep doing this work. Yeah. Um, and then my last question, thank you so much for this so far. My one last question is, if what is the one thing that you want our listeners to take away from this podcast? I, you know, if there was one thing that it boils down to, it is to develop a relationship with your patients and their families to see them and meet them where they are and just have an interest in learning their story. All of the things that that build their child, their family network, their works, um, you know, have that active listening ear on to, to say, I just want to learn more about you and your story and all of the beautiful and sometimes not so beautiful things that build you and, and have that approach in your clinic and that environment where you work, that we're all here to support you in, in making your story the best kind of version of, of, of uh, the story that you want to build for your families. Thank you for that, Dr. Sarah. It was such a pleasure to talk with you today to learn about the New Mexico Three and to obviously celebrate the successes and the hard work that you and your team around you have built. It's such a powerful sort of motivation, for hopefully for the others who are listening to this podcast that, you know, you can do it. You just need to know how to start. And it sounds like listening and starting with those building blocks of communication is absolutely essential. So thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Pediatric Care, Childhood, Adversity, and Resiliency Education Podcast. 
For more information or to learn more about the resources referenced during this episode, please visit our Screening Technical Assistance and Resource Center website found on aap.org screening.